Oh, my goodness. We're in a little bit of a low right now before the Sweet 16 and the Elite 8 gets going. But no, 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 no. We're not going to take time off. We are here every day on the nation's college basketball show and podcast. It is college basketball coast to coast. They used to say on Wide World of Sports, spanning the globe. Well, it's not quite the globe, but we span all over the continent, every which direction. And I'm looking forward to today's guest. He's going to be with me momentarily. You see him all the time on Fox Sports, Fox Sports 1's coverage of college basketball, the Big Ten, the Big East, etc. You knew him for a long time covering the NCAA tournament on CBS. Tim Brando will be the guest on College Basketball Coast to Coast. He is with me in just a moment. A reminder, however you found this show, social media link, etc. Make sure that you subscribe on Apple Podcast to hear us every day. Ding, you get a new notification. There's a new college basketball coast to coast all the way through March, all the way through the final four. Also find us streaming on tune in the free tune in app. And there are many, many, many of you finding us on tune in under the tag sports group channel. That's the channel we're on top and bottom of every hour, no matter what hour it is. I'm going to make Timmy B chuckle because he's my contemporary. He's in the waiting room. Timmy B and I are old enough to remember that in the movie theater, if you got there late, you just stuck around and waited for the movie to start over again. You, you, you current Gen Xers, Gen Zers, you don't know what that is because you have Netflix and you can do it on demand. Timmy B and I used to have to go to the theater. If you got there late, you waited for it to start over. Same thing on the TuneIn channel streaming. The show starts over top and bottom of the hour. Catch us on TuneIn of the Tag Sports Group channel, College Basketball, Coast to Coast. All of that blather out of the way. Let me bring him on from Fox Sports. Tim Brando, great to have you on the show uh, as we get ready for the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight, and eventually the Final Four, as unique and wild and crazy and COVID-safe tournament as we could possibly imagine. Good to have you. And I keep bringing everybody on the same way. Did you have any fun with those first five days of the tournament? Wow. Good to see you. Good to talk to you. Thanks to you, TJ, for having me on. Yeah, you know, I'm asked a lot, as you can imagine, uh, this time of year, uh, especially with now, gosh, I think they have two additional broadcast teams this year because of the circumstances they were in. So there were 10 different uh, units. Are you, are you, where are you? Are you somewhere as if I'm still doing it? I haven't done an NCAA tournament since 2013, but there's so much on. uh, People just think, well, Brando's got to be somewhere there. I'm hearing Raftery. I'm hearing uh, there's Jimmy Jackson. There's Steve, uh, Steve Lavin. Let's see somebody. Surely. No, I'm not doing it. And I'm actually having a lot of fun not doing it because when you do it, Okay, when you're actually broadcasting these games, you are in such um, a tunnel zone. Just a your your world is like here. Who are the next teams I've got? What do I have to do? There's in the old days we would do eight uh, eight games, eight teams, and one and four games in one day. This year I think it was just three games that they had to do. But as I told somebody, uh, once you're to the halftime of the third game you could just as easily be the halftime of the fourth game. <laughs> you know, right. It all begins to sort of run together. Um, but when you're not calling the games and you're just watching it, you're really able to see the full value of the tournament and how much impact it really does have. I used to uh, say to people after they contacted me after the first round, maybe going into the second, if I had time to take a call, I would be, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. I just, I just know what I did. You know, I, I kept up with sort of what was going on. It was like right. hearsay. It was like talking to a uh, someone that was in a courtroom and you'd say, well, that's what I heard. 
I'm not sure, but <laughs> <laughs> right. But but when you're well, when you're at home, uh, you're able, and you're a basketball junkie, and I am. I always have been. You know, I had to go back to pre ESPN days. I I hosted the tournament with John Saunders in the first rounds on ESPN in 1987, 88, 89, and 90. And then CBS didn't take the whole tournament over until 91. So I was involved in it then. And then from like 92 to 95, I would go and cover it. And I did things at the final four, but I was able to watch the tournament. But from 96 on, you know, I didn't really see anything other than what I was doing. Uh, but in 2013, that was uh, that was the last one I did. And there were great games, memorable moments, and they flash before my eyes all the time whenever I see incredible days like those first two days sure. where it was just one double-digit seed after another punching its ticket into the second round. And you see a historic number of double-digit seeds now, you know, making it to the Sweet 16. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, there is no doubt. And I want to cover so much with you here uh, over the show. You're such a great resource. But let's re- let's begin right there. When you see an Oral Roberts as a 15 and they won two games, when you right. see, uh, you know, a 14 seed uh, w- win like North Texas, when you see a 13 seed win and a 12 seed win, that's what makes this so special. That's what makes this great. We now begin to, to almost root them on, right, and live vicariously yeah. through the little guy. Yeah, and, you know, you, the one you didn't mention there was Abilene Christian beating Texas. Yeah. Now, granted, UCLA popped them pretty good, which I did anticipate, you know, in the second round. But, you know, if you if you understand the dynamics of the big state school in the big state of Texas, and here's this small, soon to be whack now Southland conference team that's got, uh, you know, a five foot five sort of Muggsy Bodes kind of guy playing guard and they're flying all over the floor, like creating human floor burns. That that will those are like many national championships to teams like Abilene Christian. I you know that and that I is submitted what it's an all-timer, obviously. Yeah. And we had our yeah. colleague Grant Boone on this show prior to the game, and uh-huh. he said exactly what you said. To do this against Texas, to play yeah. this game period against Texas, but now to beat them, that is like a national championship. To yeah, your trust point. me, trust me, losing to UCLA doesn't make the brochure next year beating texas <laughs> makes the brochure and i'm not even sure they make them uh at abilene christian anymore it may it may it may not be yet may have to get it virtually you know now but it's one that will live forever that that is a game that will live forever and those memories are made and they don't they don't go away uh it's like the the, the bryce drew pacer shot you know to beat mm-hmm. Ole miss that got valpo through and i'll never forget I was working Valparaiso in the regional semifinals and finals with Al McGuire in 1998. And they were tied with about, I don't know, eight minutes left in the country, uh, in the game. And in the country, we were being seen nationwide because UCLA was playing Kentucky and getting blown out. And Billy Packer even said to our bosses at CBS, just, Hey, get, get, get over to that Valpo game with, with, with Rhode Island. That Valpo Rhode Island game is a lot better than this. You guys just switch over because in those days there was no TBS. Every game wasn't being seen nationally. And they brought, and I remember saying to Al, Al, what if a 13 seed, this is in 98, what if a 13 seed gets through to the final four? What would that be like? And Al said, Timmy, it would be like a Norman Rockwell painting. It would be 
perfect for what March Madness is all about. And I'm like, who the hell else would say that a 13 seed getting through would be like a Norman Rockwell painting? <laughs> <laughs> I love the insight of Tim Brando. You're hearing him here on College Basketball Coast to Coast. Follow him at Tim Brando on social media, Fox Sports, and their coverage. I want to get into the remaining teams, Villanova, Creighton that he's seen, also Michigan that he's seen in a couple moments. One more memory, and I'm going to make you laugh. We survived, you and I, and everybody else that was involved in the 2008 SEC tournament, and you know where I'm going, in the Georgia Dome with the tornado. There were four individuals that were on the mic and on the call. You and Joe Dean were doing TV. Our buddy Chris Stewart was doing Alabama radio. It was an Alabama-Mississippi State game, a quarterfinal game. The late Jack Crystal, the legendary voice of the Bulldogs, was on the call, and TV. DJ Reeves and Mark Wise were on the call on Sirius XM as the tornado <laughs> came into the Georgia Dome or at least breached the roof as it passed by, mm-hmm. delaying all that. All right, my point is we survived that. We lived through that. Georgia amazingly won the tournament over the next two days at Georgia Tech, as bizarre as that sounds, with a losing record to get in. The next week, you came to Tampa, where I live, and as crazy a first day of the tournament as you could imagine, we're not one. Not two, but four total 13 and 12 seeds won. I I remember a lot about that day, including the Western Kentucky kid, Ty Rogers, hitting the three-pointer. He was just to your right, and he was right in front of me on the front row of Press Row, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. That was crazy. San Diego upset UConn. Siena upset Vanderbilt. And Villanova was a 12 seed and and won and won its way into the Sweet 16. Timmy B, that's an all-time memory for you and me. We're not, I, I hate to say never, we're not ever going to see that again where you have two 12s, two 13s, because they don't schedule it no. that way anymore in the same building. It was crazy. Right. It, no, you won't see that again. You did not want to be wearing a white uniform that day. You wanted to be in a dark <laughs> uniform. And the same and the same bench won every game. That's a, how many times? Are, well, that coach is over there. Well, he's toast. You know, he's not going to make it. And you got to a point where you were really saying that. And to have that happen right after uh, the tornado game when – Suddenly, I was doing a mini Al Michaels, you know, from the from the World Series in in uh, in '89. It was it blew me away, literally. Pardon the pun. Yeah. But the following week, to fly into Tampa, knowing who I had, and we were Jaminski and Mike had, and I had been together for quite a while, and G Man was pumped up about you know the teams we had. Drake was a thirty win team that year. They were really really yep. good, and and Western Kentucky, uh, one of those teams that you sort of thought, well, they athletically, this kid Brazelton can really move it. Uh, they've got some good sharpshooters. We may have a game. And lo and behold, it happened uh, the way that it did, just a little dribble handoff and a shot. And it looked good from the moment he left his hand. I mean, yes, it was it one of those just frozen moments in time. And um, I told the kid after the game, I said, you know, you're never, you, you never buy a beer again in, in, in Kentucky. You, you, whenever you go back, you will never buy a beer the rest of your life. And that's true for a lot of these kids uh, in the tournament historically. Um, Harold Arsenault, remember him yep. of Weber State years ago? Mm-hmm. I mean, for, who, who would pick a Harold Arsenault to blow out a team like North Carolina? But he did. This tournament creates new stars that have their moment. And for those young men, they may not play, uh, may not bounce at one time at the next level or even uh, in Europe but they will always be remembered as stars of the NCAA tournament. There is no doubt. And this man is a star in my book, and he's gracious to give me some time on college basketball coast to coast. 
Tim Brando with me here as we're in kind of the lull before the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. All right, let's roll our sleeves up figuratively. You worked a bunch of Big East, including the Big East tournament. Villanova still alive, somewhat surprisingly, without Colin Gillespie. Creighton, who got wiped out in the championship game by Georgetown, is still alive. Georgetown bowed out without winning a game. Creighton won two games and has advanced to the Sweet 16. What did you see out of both of those teams real quick as they hang in there right now? When Creighton is right and they're making shots, they're as tough to beat as anybody. I think from a matchup standpoint for the Zags, you talk about an entertaining game because they do move it quickly. Now, if, if you take into consideration where Villanova was without Gillespie, and I was there the first game that he couldn't play, and that was against Providence the final uh, Saturday of the regular season, when I saw Chris Archidiakono come out on the floor to play point, I was, you know, really? Because we didn't know whether Justin Moore would be able to play. Um, you know, Jay was very, hey, hopeful. You know, I don't know. But I think we both thought, Donnie Marshall and I were doing the game, that if Justin could go, he'd probably wait a little bit because next week means more than this week. Villanova's going to get its bid. We were shocked that, um, that during that game, Arch was the guy that they called upon. But Moore did come in, and Moore played effectively. And he played even more effectively in the opening round of the tournament uh, in the Big East against Georgetown. They didn't play poorly that day. Georgetown played out of their minds. The two guards, Dante Harris and, um, uh, and Javon Blair, just were fantastic to go along with Kudus Wahab who was a matchup problem inside for Villanova. Uh, and, you know, in, in league play in the Big East, when teams know you so well and they get a third, you know, a third crack, it, it really does help. And, and Georgetown, Jay said this last week uh, after their, their last win, probably was a good thing they lost that game to Georgetown. They were able to get back, rest, uh, get, get, get some more practice time with a new rotation knowing that Justin could play and could play effectively because you know that Samuels, that Moore uh, can make shots. All the players on the floor for Villanova, Cole Swider, he is cold-blooded from downtown after that ball fake and, and hits threes. So I had faith that Villanova could get through, but I didn't like their matchup. I thought UCSB was going to be a problem, and they were. I mean, they're a tip-in and iron-on kind of way from being gone. Correct. I mean, let's be real. They are tip in and an iron kind away from being gone. But once you get there, the experience and, and knowing what it's like to be on the next stage and the next stage, even though they're playing in the same buildings, the next stage is bigger and bigger. And Villanova, I think, will handle that well. I think they're, again, in peril with the matchup, but I think they're, they're capable of handling it. Now, Creighton, I think it's, it's totally about making shots with them. Because defensively, they are a liability, and, and everybody's going to score on them. Creighton is not a defensive juggernaut, although they played better defense much of this season than they have in recent years. Um, the right two teams, the best two teams, okay, the top two teams in the Big East did advance. As for Georgetown, I think what happened to them is when you put it all on the line for four games and you try so hard just to get there the, – there is an anticlimactic feeling when you go into a building, even, even when fans are allowed in, into the NCAAs, the first round games, especially early games, are tough to get your traction in. And that's what happened to them. 
Colorado shot the lights out and they had matchup advantages, Colorado. You know, that's the thing about where we are in basketball. Fans attach strength of conferences and strength of, it's not about, it's about matchups. It's about how does this team match up with mine? And um, I think that's what happened to the Hoyas and the, the draw that they got um, was tough for them. Not that they just didn't, you know, they didn't have any gas left in their tank. They got a bad draw and, uh, and Colorado took advantage. We shouldn't uh, do, we shouldn't take anything away from coach Boyle's team, the, the Buffaloes. And how did we all whiff on the Pac-12? I think we all wow. whiffed big well, time. Yeah, the there's no, the there's no doubt that there was a lot of unknown and a lot. It's a wild year, but obviously we undervalued how good they would be, and they've demonstrated on the court. Let me tell uh, you something sure. about that. Yeah. Let, let me tell you, TJ, about that. In past years, you know, we've got Pac-12 games on Fox. Mm-hmm. We do. In past years, I would go out there at least once and do a pair of games. Sort of my, I used, I would call it my West Coast swing, and it would usually involve a UCLA or USC game, maybe both you know, uh, a USC game on a, on a Thursday and a UCLA game on a Saturday or Saturday or a Wednesday, Saturday. Uh, but because of COVID and because of the way that those of us in our, our business have had to work, I didn't have to do any games in studios this year, but a lot of people did. Some never got into an arena. I did get into mine, thankfully, but um, all those games were done remotely really. And they were all done out on the West coast. So if you're not out there really watching you know, as a broadcaster, you just don't know as much. And I think that's true whether we're talking about commentators on ESPN or commentators on Fox. And if you're asleep when these guys are playing, you really don't know. And uh, Larry Scott, his biggest problem, and the reason he's no longer the commissioner of the Pac-12 is he's got a horrible TV deal. His conference network got no, got no traction. I think they only had about 12 to 15 million viewers. So how are we to know that Wayne Tinkle's team at 17 and 12 is going to be that good or that Dana, you know, I trust in Dana Altman's teams always playing defense and always being pretty good. He's been to a final four in recent years, but we whiffed on these teams and and UCLA played poorly down the stretch and had to go into the first four to win. I think most of us thought, well, you know, Michigan state certainly deserves to be there more than UCLA and look what happened. And frankly, when Oregon State won the three games in three days, didn't a lot of us all over the place, and we've done this for a long time, you, me, and a lot of people say, aha, it must not be that good of a conference if a team that's borderline can win the three games in three days. That contributed to our whiff, as you're putting it. Well, and let me tell you something, and one other thing, all right, and God bless him. I love Bill Walton, all right? I've known Bill forever, all right? But when Bill's doing a game, you know, it's like a stand-up. The game you know, is secondary. It's the secondary. Game is secondary. He's ta- <laughs> I mean, he's talking about, you know, the, the conference of champions and Dave Pash is doing everything he can to really men and, and, and God bless Dave for doing that. But it's hard to, you know, begin to think about the players that are on the floor and their stories and how they've developed and how they've matured. It's just uh, for, for a league that's struggling to get identity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when your games are on and if you happen to be up late enough and I have, have been, I'm thoroughly entertained by Bill. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, but I'm not really learning. I'm usually just <laughs> entertained by Bill. I'm not really thinking about, you know, the players on the floor. So there's, there's an identity crisis with that league in both football and in basketball, but still shame on us. Okay. Shame on us for not paying attention simply because they're in a, uh, you know, they're in a time bracket that we're not in, you know, we're, 
we're in bed when they're playing and we should pay more attention. And the Eastern and Central time zones. All right, so we're cranking along here, and I want to cover a couple of more things. You worked a bunch of Big Ten. Michigan is the only team that got through. We're all surprised. How surprised are you that Ohio State, Illinois, the upper echelon, didn't at least get Iowa, didn't at least get to the Sweet 16 real quick, Tim? I think they, again, I think the, the committee, in large measure, this is a Pac-12 issue. I'll go right back to where we were. Look at the seedings on these Pac-12 teams. Now, granted, with the information that they have in front of them, Okay, and we can't blame the polls. Polls really have nothing to do with it. They're being given the information. They're not taking into consideration the last 10 games as they did years ago. That's no longer a criteria. But, I mean, the matchups were horrible for these teams, and yet they had great seedings. Okay? They were still horrible matchups for these teams. Illinois getting loyal of Chicago in the second round, that game should have been this week, not last week. Loyola got an awful seating for where that team is. And again, it's all about the metrics. You know, people say, well, Loyola was great in the metrics all year. Jerry Palm corrected me immediately when I put that out on Twitter. I said, okay, you're right. I don't understand metrics anyway. So let me move forward on this. I test, okay? I know they've got two players left from that final four that are in. I also know this big that was the player of the year in their league. It's a matchup nightmare for just about anybody. And Illinois does, has got a bunch of young players, player of the year guys, whether it's Io DeSumnu, whether it's Kofi Coburn inside, or Cabello, the great freshman coming in, and Trent Frazier, who's an outstanding veteran shooter. They, that team was still new to this stage. And they're playing a team with much more experience that also has Sister Jean on there. I, I thought it was a really bad – and this is the point I'm trying to make. We need on the committee more basketball people. More basketball people, not just not just ADs, not just commissioners. No, we need more basketball people that can say, you know what, we really look at who they've got returned. Somebody in the room needs to be able to say, don't you think that's a game we ought to see next week, not this week? You know, that kind of thing. Michigan moves through. We don't know Livers' status, but even without him, do you give them still a good puncher's chance to be in the final four oh, here? I mean, they showed a lot in yeah. that second half against LSU, didn't they, real quick? Absolutely. Uh, Johns, who's come in to replace Livers, is really uh, – give Juwan Howard a lot of credit reconfiguring his team. You know, um, basketball is really a game of in-season evolution. Uh, college football is a little bit that way, too, although – the problem with college football is it doesn't seem to matter if how a team evolves because in the end, we know it's going to be the same four teams every year. All right. Because of the screwed up system we have in college basketball, evolution really shows up once you get to the tournament. Uh, Michigan had more depth than even maybe their own fans realize. Because when I thought, when I heard livers was gone, having seen them this year and in past years, Isaiah was the glue. And all that really happened here was Johns came in, really replaced him well. Eli Brooks said, you know what, I'm, I'm the glue guy, but I can also make shots. So he starts drilling them. And Dickinson's a, a beast inside and a, and a matchup nightmare if he can stay on the floor. LSU gave him a break now with the lack of discipline offensively and defensively. You know, when they were making shots and they had them on the ropes, they had Michigan in foul trouble. They were in the double bonus early. They stopped driving to the basket because of the way they play, which is too much freedom on offense which allows for a lot of bad shots to be taken. And on defense, if they're making shots, they're engaged. If they aren't, they, they won't play defense. And that helped Michigan out. 
that that won't be the case when they play Alabama. I anticipate it will be Alabama, Michigan, uh, even though Alabama will be tested by Florida State big time. Uh, I still believe it will be Alabama. And the, the, the thing about Oates' team is, yeah, they can make threes, but they'll pound it inside. And if they're not making shots, they're always engaged on defense. I still see Alabama getting through. Uh, yeah. Those are the only two teams I've got left. Gonzaga <laughs> and uh, Alabama, the only two teams I've got left with a shot. Mo- hey, my, most uh, everybody else is like – I know and most everybody else's right side of the bracket has all the red squiggly lines yeah. through it and is blown up right along with you. So we understand yeah. that. And yeah. Alabama UCLA is fascinating. Florida state will give Michigan trouble uh, as well mm-hmm. as you're talking about. And then we'll see what happens for the elite eight. Yeah. One I think, more... I think Florida state, I, you're right. Florida state. I, met, I think I may have misspoke. Florida state is playing yeah. um, Michigan, Michigan, which will give, they'll give Michigan trouble, but I do anticipate that Alabama is, is the team that, that can really, and that was what I saw when I saw the bracket. That's the most vulnerable number one seed is Michigan, and Alabama is the best number two. So that's why. All right. And so in the Alabama case, you and I love this going in the way back, and I'm old enough. Loyola Marymount is near and dear to me. I mean, they captivated everybody 31 years ago, the 1990 tournament, the death of Hank Gathers, and, the, and how that Alabama stretch against Maryland, Tim Brando, was Loyola Marymount from 1990. I encourage the fans, while they have a couple of days, go back on YouTube and go look at the 90 tournament at what Loyola Marymount was doing in the first yeah. couple of games and then watch Alabama against Maryland. That I immediately sat up and I was texting you and everybody else by the dozens saying, my God, Loyola Marymount 2.0. There it was. That's the yeah. beauty of the tournament, right? Yeah, you know, I was in Oakland when that game was played. I was about to do a women's regional final for ESPN over at Stanford, Tara Vanderveer's team. And I went to Oakland Coliseum to see Wimp's team play in that game. That was a 16-2, and two, I think, SEC team that he had. And it was in the middle of a run of four straight Sweet 16s that Alabama had had. I mean, there were pros all over the floor for Bama. They had played a game against Arkansas in the SEC tournament semifinals that was just off the charts that I was in Birmingham to see. You know, Bo Kimball, what a run that was. And they just – they had nothing left after that game and, and right. lost in the, in the, in the championship, the, the regional championship. But, yeah, we see these flashes, these reminders of matchups that take us back for all of us that are hardcores like you and I. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, the, the game before, just real quick, they had played the defending champion Michigan that still had Ramil Robinson, NBA player, right. Loy Vaught. Yeah. Terry Mills, Sean Rooks, all on that team, and they ran them out of the gym. And, again, I don't want (laughs) to say this Alabama team plays at the same hyperdrive, at the same warp speed, but it's close. It reminds you of it, and I'll be intrigued to watch uh, what happens. All right, so you're like me. We're coming to the end here on college basketball coast-to-coast. You're like me. We're sitting back and ready to enjoy all of this, are we not? With eight more games coming in the Sweet 16, four more yep. coming in the Elite Eight, and then we know a Final Four, Tim Brando. We can't wait for this weekend. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I think the team we haven't touched on yet that really is – its you know, that's shame on us. Baylor is really good, aren't they? I mean, they are really, really good. And I think that that side of the bracket has really opened up, you know, beautifully for them. Uh, and I think that they've got a great shot. Uh, to go along with the Zags and, and Alabama. And on the other side, I'm going to tell you, man, I, I see Loyola of Chicago getting there. I, I, I just do. Syracuse is an interesting story in as much as they, they have been figured out 
by the ACC. Okay, how how you how you deal with the zone? But Jim, when he went to it in '96, which was a na- a national championship finals appearance for him, that was my first year of calling the NCAA tournament for CBS, and I had them, and they went on all the way to the Meadowlands and played Kentucky and lost for the national title. That when when Syracuse gets in the tournament, I don't care if they're the 12th seed or the 11th seed, or what, I don't care what number you put by their name, just go ahead and punch them through to the Sweet 16. <laughs> Those first two teams that have to play them that have never seen that zone, they've seen yep. zones maybe, but not that zone. Um, I thought West Virginia would get them, you know, because they play some pretty good D and they're quick and they make good shots. McNeil's an outstanding shooter. But now the zone is working and Buddy Boy, Buddy Boy is on wow. fire. And making history, if if there is a sleeper pick to get to the final four, that that we're all like, even now people are like, ah, somebody's going to beat them. Yeah, Syracuse, they'll catch. Somebody's going to be able to handle the zone, make shots, and win. If Syracuse gets out to a double-digit lead early, like by the eight-minute TV timeout, you're down twelve. They're not going to lose. I have loved having Tim Brando with me on College Basketball Coast to Coast. You are the best, a great resource. Keep knocking them dead. Keep knocking them straight on the golf course. He's getting a little golf in right now before we get back to the basketball. Glad that you're still hitting them straight and making birdies. Thank you for spending time with me here on the TuneIn channel, on the podcast, College Basketball Coast to Coast. Timmy B., you're the best. Thank you. All the best, bud. There you go, and we're done for this edition of College Basketball Coast to Coast. However, and wherever you found us, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, find us on TuneIn on the Tag Sports Group channel. We're done for now. Sweet 16 Elite 8 coming. Thank you for being with me on College Basketball Coast to Coast.